Hello, and welcome to our new show from the Texas Public Policy Foundation, The Right Idea. I'm one of your co-hosts, Brian Phillips. I'm the Chief Communications Officer with the Texas Public Policy Foundation, and I'm here with my co-host, Derek Cohen, who is the Vice President of Policy at TPPF. We're launching this show during the opening week of Texas's 88th legislative session because we want to talk about the and discuss the ins and outs of the people, the politics, the policies uh, that go on here at the Capitol or here in Austin and, of course, across the state. But who knows? We'll probably talk about whatever we want to talk about, whether it's, you know, culture, entertainment, sports, you know, cookbook ideas. I don't know. Whatever. We'll talk about whatever's going on in Texas. Um so I'm look, really looking forward to getting to getting started and, and really talking about the issues that are going on in Texas. Derek, what do you hope to, to get out of uh, talking to our audience every week? Well, I never thought about it before, but clearly the cookbook ideas. Um, <laughs> but beyond that, I think that we have a, a valuable opportunity here to really bring the kind of insider knowledge, you know, for better or worse, to... Um, you know, to the to the whole state. You know, we're we're steeped in this. You and me, we're steeped in this. You know, day in day out. Obviously during session, but we also call each other's nerds all the time. Which oh is yeah, probably true. And rightfully so. Rightfully so. I mean, <laughs> I'm, we're that badge with honor. I think we've taken that word back. Um, <laughs> but I, I, we have you obviously have a, a good perspective on this. Not the only perspective, but definitely a unique and valuable one. And so really just sharing that with our listeners and our our viewers, I think, is something that we are going to be able to. Uh, to contribute as a value add. So I'm new. I'm a re- relatively new. I've only been in, in Texas state politics for about five years working here at TPPF, but you've been doing it, what, 10, 15 years now? <laughs> well, about a decade, yeah. Okay. So so you really have the institutional knowledge, which I'm looking forward to, to getting into and, and setting us straight in terms of the policy and all of that. Um, but I'm also hoping from my perspective to bring, you know, you know what is the, what is the active, what do the activists think and what are we hearing out there and what is the media, how, what, what, are, what are the contours of the debate? So I think it'd be a, a good discussion uh, uh, week to week, and the way we're going to structure this, I think, um, is you know, first we want we definitely want to get a legislative update from you. Now, not not a lot of, of legislation uh, going on right now, but just kind of talking about you know week to week, what are the big debates, what are the the, you know, the big issues uh, that people are talking about. Um, then we'll probably go through some headlines, some things that everybody's kind of talking around, uh, you know, talking about around the, the water cooler. Definitely the top issues of the day, but maybe we'll uncover some ones that are kind of beneath the surface and maybe mm-hmm. you know g- give some attention to those. And then for the the last part of the show, I want to really want to dive into a particular issue. Like one, you know, we talk, we call it the right idea. Let's talk about ideas. Let's talk about a specific issue um, and get your take on it from the policy side and my take on it from from the communication side. Um, and hopefully, um, you know, we'll we'll have a little fun along the way and maybe we'll uh, we'll introduce some things to people. So so let's just start right there, Derek. Uh, you know. Opening gavel went down on Tuesday. You know, a lot of you know kids running around the floor of the House and the Senate. Oh, we call them members. Them. <laughs> so you know, committee assignments are starting to come out. I mean, all these things are fresh and new and exciting. So, so what is the what is the temperature like uh, on the floor of the House and, and the Senate right now? And what's going on? Well, you you made the good observation there. Uh, mostly, it's mostly pomp and circumstances at this point. Um, some of the major decisions have yet to be made, such as who's going to be chairing what committees, uh, what the governor's priorities are going to be. Uh, the lieutenant governor has already gone out and announced his priorities about a month back. Um, and we're going to start seeing that coalesce here uh, shortly. But as far as um, actual substantive debate and uh, movement, the only thing we've seen so far is the uh, approval of the different rules for the different bodies. So yesterday in the Senate, they went ahead and approved the same set of rules that they had during the last legislature. 
Um, also in the Senate, they went ahead and drew lots for who's going to be uh, running in two years versus who's going to be running in four years. Remember, we did redistricting last year. Mm-hmm. So everybody ran in new districts. Everyone had to run. And so now we go, how are we going to stagger the terms? So one of the interesting things about the Texas legislature, of course, is that they only meet every two years. But then when they meet, there's this like odd 60-day period that they don't really get to do any debate or legislation Mm -hmm. unless it's considered an emergency item and announced by the governor. Can you explain a little bit about what's the purpose of that? Like a lot of folks, you know, don't know that that's the case. Everybody thinks, oh, you know, let's get to it. Let's start legislating. And the reality is it's a lot of hurry up and wait because of that. Well, historically speaking, you know, that's been part of the the Constitution for, you know, for till, you know, since back when it it was founded. Um, But the the, honestly, it, it there is some debate about whether or not that 60-day moratorium that you mentioned still plays a role in uh, current legislation. Obviously, we have only 140 days uh, by which to do anything uh, within the bounds of a regular session. So is automatically burning 60 days on the front end the best best use of ideas? And actually, I think there is a lot of reasonable disagreement on or reasonable debate on that, I should say. You know, there are folks that highlight that it really focuses the legislature's attention on important stuff, not just renaming farm to market roads and things mm-hmm. like that. But there's also folks who realize that, you know, leaving us with 80 days of functional legislating, you know, might really be starting a sprint with a, you know, after the uh, uh, your teammates are rounding the uh, rounding the first bend. So mm-hmm. uh, the reasonable uh, reasonable uh, arguments on both sides. I don't think we're going to see uh, much moving on that, even though things have been proposed in the past and will likely be proposed this year. Um, But the governor will be, during the state of state, announcing his emergency items. And in announcing those emergency items, we're going to find out what are the governor's number, I would say usually about five or seven or what have you, his main priorities in which he's going to spend uh, a lot of his effort and focus on uh, here during the legislative session. And the emergency items, um, you know, this is uh, this is different than what happened last time. I mean, the governor announced his emergency items even before the session last time. Is that right? Or or right around the beginning of session? I I believe he signaled it in, in interviews, but mm-hmm. again, we need a, a, the 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 actual enactment of an emergency items come from a formal declaration. So Usually, a company say, state of the state. So so there isn't a, there isn't a whole lot of you know rumors about what what it's going to be. Does, does that suggest that maybe you know think that that you know the the issues aren't as important or that you know we don't have as many pressing issues as we did maybe last time? Oh yeah, I'm, I'm sure since you know everything's solved, we can all just pack up and go home. I can, <laughs> you know, we'll pass the budget, then we'll gavel out. No no no, I think uh, obviously that's not the case because the governor himself has made many many. Um, uh, comments on things such as uh, parental empowerment, mm-hmm. uh, property taxes, all these things that, you know, the average everyday Texan feels on a daily basis. Now, this is just because he hasn't uh, formally declared them as emergency items yet doesn't mean he won't. And even if he doesn't declare any particular one policy issue, an emergency item, that doesn't mean that it wouldn't be personally a priority of his. You know, like it, it, it's kind of like in an election. They always say this is the most important election. You know, everybody has to vote or whatever. It actually does feel a little bit different this time. I mean, it does feel like some of the issues, I mean, you mentioned parental empowerment. I mean, we're hearing people complain about property taxes, you know, across the state. So it's one of those things. Um, um, But also a number of different issues. Does it feel a little bit like this is a, you know, a critical session more than other sessions have been in the past? They're all critical sessions, Brian, each one more (laughs) critical than the last. Um, No, no, but but your point's well taken in that, yes, this does feel 
this does feel different, especially compared to the last, because keep in mind, the last session, when we gaveled in in January of 2021, you know, we were stumbling our way out of COVID. There are a lot of folks who were angry about a lot of things pursuant to policies that came out of out of the pandemic. Now, I think that there's a much clearer vision of what went wrong during uh, pandemic policymaking, mm-hmm. what went right during pandemic policymaking. And I think that we're going to see that actually work its way into legislation. For example, I remember, you know, when we were starting to talk about on the education side, it was, well, we really need to shore up the um, delivery of virtual education, right? Because mm-hmm. that was the modal way of educating students that a lot of p- parents were actually choosing. Right. You know, some are going back, some are doing virtual, some are doing homeschool pods. Pods, and the whole, yeah, all that stuff. But, but the virtual side was, was a little bit lacking. So that was the focus last year. After all that time seeing what the kids were learning on virtual schools, we now see the parents are incensed with what's going on in the schools. Things that we've been sounding the alarm for for years, Mm -hmm. we now see parents having witnesses firsthand. You know, you look at the school boards all across the state and even all across the country, you are seeing these individuals say, I am sick to death of my kid being propagandized, being indoctrinated indoctrinated and just given these you know viewpoints that don't comport with my values or values of the state but Mm -hmm. rather than that the you know small elite you know teachers colleges that we see Mm -hmm. uh that we see across the country and and that's not that's not the purpose of school you know it's not to build uh, it's not to enlist armies for the long march it's to actually uh produce good Texans, good citizens, and what we see some of these schools focusing on. I should I say some because this is you know this isn't all schools, and I'd, I'd be hard pressed to say even most. The really bad the really bad examples are mm-hmm. heinous, but we see that some schools are doing the right thing, some schools are doing the wrong things, and we essentially don't have a mechanism whereby parents can weigh in on that. So that's one of the things that we're looking at. Seeing. Yeah, I mean, and not to believe this issue too much, but I mean, one of the things that we're really hearing from parents is that they're starting to realize that the school systems are not really the partners that they thought they were. Mm. Um, and that while they may like their schools or they may like their teachers, when it comes to disagreements about what's going on in the classroom, mm. they're receiving pushback that they did not expect to receive. And so that's where I think a lot of the the, um, the anger and the frustration and is coming from. And that's going to end up, you know, that's going to end up in the House, or in the House and the Senate and the legislature. That you know, parents are standing up and saying, "Look, I've given the last two years of my life trying to f- help fix this, and I'm keep getting, you know, keep getting told to pound sand." You know, hey, Mr. Legislator, you've got to fix this this time around because this is, you know, I'm, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. I can't, you know, get, I, parents getting attacked on social media and you know, and and uh, being targeted. You know, they're done. They're done. If the legislature doesn't turn around and fix this, um, then then they're not going to be able to stand up and do this anymore. Um, so anyway, we, and that's a good segue to get into kind of our headlines. And we want to talk a little bit about um, about specifically the House agenda. Um, the, the speaker uh, gave his list. He gave his speech on, on Tuesday about that. And the, the highlights, of course, were property tax relief, which we'll get into kind of at the end of the of the show today, but also criminal justice reform and border security and, and, and a list of really a, a whole list of other things that, that they want to do. What did you make of that list? And, uh, you know, what are you excited about about addressing or the, the the legislature addressing this year? Well, you know, I got my start in criminal ju- on the criminal justice side. So really, really impressed with Speaker Phelan's leadership on that particular issue. He he gets the the genesis behind right on crime. He understands that this there are a lot of people out there who use criminal justice reform as a shibboleth as soft on crime, mm-hmm. which is 
not uh, is not how it's done right. I mean, if you look at, you know, say what we did with the First Step Act, right? We actually went ahead and identified the individuals who are the best case scenario for, um, you know, home confinement or release or however. While also making sure the people who are, say, trafficking fentanyl, mm -hmm. using weapons violently, those people got increased sentences. You know, it, uh, it wasn't just a one-way ratchet on uh, what we did federally. We've been doing that here in the state for, uh, you know, for almost going on 15 years now. So it's really one of those things where a smart, critical eye cast on the system. You see a lot of inefficiencies. You see some injustice, but you ultimately see ways that some very simple lifts, some low-hanging fruit can really fix the system, make it work better, and keep people safe. I'll play, I'm, I'm a little worried about um, whether or not this is the right time uh, yep. for, for criminal justice reform um, because, you know, people it, – it always happens when you have a Democrat in the White House, right? Mm -hmm. Like Republicans always play up the, the public safety issue. Mm -hmm. In this case, there is a lot to play up, unfortunately. Absolutely. I mean, you've got you know, Democrat cities. You see the videos constantly on uh, – you know, from New York and others of people doing the smash and grabs and these coordinated um, mm -hmm. um, uh, attacks on on stores and things like that um, and so you know when we do I do a lot of polling on this issue I do a lot of uh, you know getting uh, public sentiment on it mm -hmm. and you know people want to throw you know criminals behind bars and leave mm -hmm. them there you know forever or mm -hmm. you know and and it seems like criminal justice you know when we talk about the agenda for criminal Absolutely. justice reform it feels a little bit like what the themes are are letting people out early or you know changing the rules on bail or you know those kinds of things and it feels like you know are we are we missing the moment right now criminal justice because everybody is much more in the the line of you know go after the bad guys throw them behind bars throw away the key you know increase the sentences you know all of that kind of stuff are we are we is is now not our time necessarily for criminal justice no because everything that you just identified is part of the criminal justice reform package you mentioned bail uh, mm -hmm. so last year uh last year the legislature did take a bite of that it made it a lot harder for violent individuals, repeat offenders, to get cashless bail. You know, you have these judges down in Harris County who don't seem to be able to distinguish how many dollars you have in the wallet versus how actual dangerous to the community you are. And so they're saying, oh, here's a person not of means. Ergo, that means they can't post. Ergo, that means we should actually set them at a very low bail. Bondsman comes along, signs off on it. They have no skin in the game other than if they just never show up. But if they mm -hmm. reoffend, um, they're back in jail. It's, it's something that that needs to be addressed, and it doesn't get addressed outside of criminal justice reform. Now, obviously, bail is just one of the many things. I'd actually say, though, when it comes to the application of a criminal justice system, that we've actually seen good bipartisan results, not in that, you know, we support legislation that, you know, some are from uh, Republicans over here, Democrats over there, but that Republicans and Democrats are doing a good job in different areas. Mm -hmm. For example, I like to point up to Dallas, where obviously you have a district attorney who's, you know, arguably made some questionable decisions on the enforcement of the law as it exists. Meanwhile, the mayor, Eric Johnson, same party, also a Democrat, is basically one of the more tough on crime mayors and has managed to, through supporting the police, slash crime rates for two consecutive years. And that, that is something where over the last two years we haven't seen replicated in very right. many places in the country. And that's it, not making the headlines either. I mean, right. it's always the crime that makes the headlines. Ab absolutely. and Absolutely. And, you know, if you talk to uh, Mayor Johnson when he was Representative Johnson, you know, I don't think there was any, I don't think there was any, uh, doubt that he was, you know, a, a uh, at the very least a liberal Democrat. 
But the way he's ran that city, he says, one of the biggest things that I have to provide as mayor is a stable environment for people to, in Dallas, to, for people to uh, come, raise a family, get educated, you know, apply their trade, whatever the case may be. You can't have any of that when you have the basically public chaos mm-hmm. that you see in, say, a Chicago or a Philadelphia. I just wish, you know, I wish the the folks that, that do push these issues, and certainly we do this here at TPPF, really make that connection between mm-hmm. criminal justice reform and the public safety, mm-hmm. right? It's not just about, you know, benefiting those who are in jail. I mean, we talk a lot about reentry, and of course, you know, 95% of people who go to jail are going to get out, so we have to make sure that we're rehabilitating them and, mm-hmm. you know, becoming, um, you know, productive members of society. Um, but I think we need to do more just in the conservative side to really make that connection like you're doing right now, that Criminal justice reform is the way that you improve public safety. It's not just throwing bad people away and, you know, in jail and throwing away the key. It's actually these policies that will produce, you know, better outcomes more and more public safety. Absolutely. And I want to also highlight what, you know, we talked about what the speaker's doing. Let's talk about what the lieutenant governor's doing over in the Senate. One of his big public safety items was a is a mandatory uh, 10-year minimum sentence for individuals who use a gun. Now, we te- te- overall, we've generally shied away from... Uh, mandatory minimums, even when they were all the rage from the the 60s to the 80s, uh, simply because we put a lot of stock in our juries and we have uh, Mm -hmm. very robust jury sentencing. And so he's proposed a a 10-year minimum for people that use a gun. And to be honest with you, it's it's not a bad idea because the people that use a gun, people that violently offend are more, you know, that is a higher category of criminal Mm -hmm. than someone who shoplifts. Now, I'm not saying we abide the shoplifting. But if you have somebody that is robbing versus shoplifting, that is a completely different typology than somebody who's doing the shoplifting. Yep. And being able to interrupt that and to incapacitate that individual is something that's worth looking at. Now, the devil be in the details. Uh, you know, we've obviously want to see that particular uh, that particular idea correctly applied. Um, we, you know, just dealing with like the 924C stacking issue that we had in the federal system where Weldon Angelos you know, uh, who sold uh, three uh, dime bags of marijuana, I believe, uh, got 55 years. That's where you start having things because of poorly written laws, getting outcomes that you weren't seeking. But that's not to say that the individuals that would be targeted by that law needs some sort of uh, some sort of relief. Not at all. Those are the people that we should be targeting. I think the lieutenant governor is onto something with this. So criminal justice, we've spent a lot of time on that. Obviously, it's an issue that's a big passion of yours as well. And here at TPPF, it's you know something that we've led on for you know easily over a decade or more. Um, but anything below the radar, anything you saw on the list, either from the senator or from from the house or from the senate, um, that maybe is not one of the top issues, but you think is gonna you know we're finally gonna be gonna be addressing it. Well, one really interesting thing, and if you would have asked me, you know. A month ago, I would probably not have this in a list of uh, priorities or thing of things of importance uh, is what we're seeing in the tech sector. You mm-hmm. know, uh, we are getting to a point where people are realizing that the that technology in and of itself, while it has led to uh, some really great advancements, not only um Everything on social media and everything in uh, business and things like that, things moving forward. Mm-hmm. But that, that that much like every other other policy question, that there's trade-offs, right? You know, we're seeing, um, you know, so un- like the you know miners using you know or being 
harmed because of their social media use and that kind of thing? Yeah, either because they're being spoon-fed toxic sludge, if you were, by by an algorithm, whether it's them having a ready access for cyberbullying, whether it's them needing to be online for, say, Mm -hmm. school or something like that, and that being a venue where they get into all sorts of things that we would not allow if it were an in-person thing. All this is stuff that has not been debated yet, but we saw that the uh, speaker actually mentioned in his acceptance speech mm-hmm. that this is an issue. Yeah, and we, you know, we've we've been working on this for for a little over a year now, mm-hmm. and we we couldn't agree more. We're seeing, you know, again the the litany of harms that you mentioned. You know, so often we've turned a blind eye to because of this kind of this. You know, Texas is a very liberty oriented state, but there's this libertarian impulse. Say, oh, they're private market actors. You know, go if you don't like. Uh, uh, if you don't like Instagram spoon feeding uh, reels of poison to your kids, go make your own social media. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just well, I, let me put it this way: I just don't have the uh, ingenuity to make tell, my own. Tell that media. to Parlor or Truth Social. No, it is <laughs> it, the thing that I find the most interesting about it is that you're right. I mean, I think reflexively when you know we start debating these ideas, and I know I've heard about this, you know, ban on social media or you know preventing these companies from exploiting you know teenagers and all that. Mm-hmm. When I start to hear about this, you know, it, it reflexively you think people are going to reject that like no you know that's not the way to, to handle the public policy issue I'm sure there's something else that we can do the reality is the more that we have sent out you know trial balloons and the more we've talked to activists or we've gone into uh, groups or you know even the, in the media whenever they've they've done interviews you know Parents are actually pretty supportive <laughs> of of the outright ban. I mean, you know, there's there's obviously other ways that we can you know, limit uh, kids' access. You can have more parental controls uh, over things. Uh, there's certain types of content that you can limit uh, from. But honestly, the parents are kind of okay with the outright ban um, and 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 having that at their disposal to help them uh, limit you know the amount that their kids actually get to to use it. So I've been kind of shocked um, that that it's been a, a lighter lift to convince people that that might be the right public policy uh, than I otherwise thought it would. And let me yes and that, because one other thing that uh, I think we're seeing, and I I mean, as you've seen it in your numbers, and I can at least say anecdotally, is that this is not a, you know, a fringe right-wing issue. Mm-hmm. This is not even a solely center-right and beyond issue. This is about as uniform across the board of political ideology as I've ever seen. Mm. Uh, That's not just saying everybody, everyone holds this opinion, but it tends to be very evenly distributed. For example, you know, you see the, you know, the crunchiest of Austin moms, you know, that you would say, you you (laughs) share the idea with, and she would go, oh, no, that's a great idea. Mm. And, 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 you know, her you know, experience in dealing with social media might be different than, you know, than ours, but that doesn't mean that she hasn't seen the same negatives that we're talking about in the aggregate mm-hmm. played out in a different way that she has exposure to and we don't. Yeah, I just saw a new draft. Um, so this is a shameless plug, obviously, for TPPF, but we just, <laughs> I think we're, we're about to uh, release either today or or in the, in the coming days uh, our, our research on the harms of social media and how it's affecting uh, minors. So uh, keep, a, keep a, an eye out for that. But yeah, you're right. I think that was one of the things that we were surprised to see in the speaker's speech mm-hmm. um, because obviously nothing makes it in that speech unless it's going to be like a major priority. Uh, and to see that in there, I think, was uh, was welcome to a lot of folks who are, who are pushing this issue. Um, you know, we're, we're, I want to get to I want to get to property tax because mm-hmm. it's uh, probably the most, you know, with that and parent empowerment, probably the, one of the top two issues. But, I, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't, you know, big headline this week. You, you finally have uh, the president goes to the border. 
right? And we saw what happened there. Very, I mean, I think sanitized is putting it nicely in terms of like what he saw at the border. Not to mention, you know, all of these these photo op pics with uh, with CBP and the you know, border patrol, you know, along the border that he opposes, you know, the border wall that he opposes and try and has defunded mm-hmm. uh, in his administration. Quick take on on the you know the 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 layover photo op on <laughs> on uh, President Biden at the at the Texas border or the southern border. You, you know what though, half a cheer. You know, I mean that's <laughs> you know I mean better About time. Yeah, better late than never, I suppose. Yeah, but right. you know what though, the, the one thing that really got me about that, and and I and I do appreciate that at the very least he signals I understand the political ramifications of my complete absenteeism. I'll mm-hmm. give him that. I'll give him that. But that being said, that was also launched with a litany of other proposals that were basically as bad as the status quo. You know, you want to talk about asylum petitions through an app? I mean, that. <laughs> I mean, this it's that. Clever. Yeah, and it's. And I'm thinking like this. You know, if anything is just going to you know grease the process even more. Yeah. You know, it's going to make it. You know, and it's going to make it even less. Um, uh, less deterrent. And, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll just give you where I'm at on, on immigration generally. I'm one of the uh, wider gates, higher walls kind of guy. You know, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, this country has been a big, beautiful door, a big, big beautiful door. Many people are saying um, I think that um, <laughs> I, I think that, you know, just the, the foundational heritage of this country couldn't be what it is without without immigration. And, and I think that so much of the rich social tapestry is because of folks who've came from, you know, my uh, not terribly distant relatives included who came from, you know, areas escaping, you know, legit persecution mm-hmm. um, and end up here for the opportunity and the promise of America. And, you know, we're turning a, we're turning away from that basically for for ideology. I think we should have you know, we should have immigration, mm-hmm. we, but we can't have a safe, orderly immigration system mm-hmm. where we're just you know, throw an open it. or it's that, you know, I know it's a, I think it's a British meme where it shows a, a gate that's, you know, down over the road. And then like people are just literally walking, walking around, around the yeah. gate because there's no other. Uh, well, I, you know, I don't think your position, I mean, your position is certainly not the squishiest uh, that I've ever heard, but it's, it's also the, Thank you for that. the vast majority, <laughs> the vast majority. I mean, I've, I've watched the public polls on this literally since I was been working on this issue in the U S house of representatives since 2007. Um, and the, the public opinion on this has not changed. It's always 60 to 75% believe what you're saying, which is that we need to have, you know, we need to have borders. We need to have, an orderly system that says yes you no not you um, but we need to have the ability for people to come into this country to leave their country and decide to become Americans and yeah. take all the steps that it takes to you know pledge allegiance to to, to this country uh, and, and come here and that hasn't changed I mean that is there's no matter how toxic the debate the debate gets or how left versus right or mm-hmm. you know Trump and all the things that he disrupted on that on that debate it really has never changed it's mm-hmm. always been about 65 to 70 percent of people People kind of believe in that middle position, which is strong borders, you know, good system. But yes, people should come here. Absolutely, absolutely. And and, and I mean, you know, a lot of people, especially with the more libertarian bent, are going to say, you know, well, who are we to determine uh, the contents of our own polity? And it's like any self-governing people, 
that's, that's one of the <laughs> fundamental precepts. Yeah, you, sovereignty. I mean, the, yeah. the definition of sovereignty. Okay, so while we have a few minutes left, I definitely want to get to property tax. Uh, we don't have to get so into the details, although that's kind of one of the dynamics of this, which I find fascinating, which is for the last year and a half, we have been, you know, TPBF has been coming, ha- has come up with a plan and we've been presenting it to members and to the public and to, you know, activists and all that. And it really is, it really is complicated mm-hmm. because it sort of has to be. Um, but I've seen, uh, I've seen in the last four or five months, you know, people really getting into the details. Mm-hmm. Are you, do you think that there's a, that there's kind of a sea change coming here with, with people getting, you know, cause it used to just be, my, my point is it used to just be, look, I don't care what you do. Just, I just need to pay less, mm-hmm. right? I just, it's too high. I need to pay less. I don't care how you do it or where you take the money from or whatever. I'm just, it's too high and it needs to go down. Mm-hmm. Now people are getting more into the details and this idea of at least our idea here about using some of the surplus mm-hmm. in order to, to, uh, um, replace what, what uh, replace what we give to schools, um, with the property tax. So, mm-hmm. I mean, is that, you know, do you, you feel like there's going to be a real sea change here this session? So your question of whether or not people are more plugged in and engaged answers clearly. Yes, clearly. Mm-hmm. I mean, people that, you know, I, and, I'll, and I'll tell you, I'll be the, be the first to admit that, you know, when it, when you're first diving into that issue, it is so opaque, it is so dense. You know, there are so many competing uh, slices of the pie that you're uh, of the dollar that you're offering up. It's so hard to track who's doing what, who can yeah. do what, who's. And so, yeah, I, but where I, it comes from, who gets it, how it gets spent. But we are seeing an absolute engagement uh, across the board that we had not seen before. And mm-hmm. I, but the reason for that is very simple. The reason is because other than some instances, everybody in the state, I shouldn't say everybody, but the vast, vast majority of individuals in the state property taxes have not gone down. Mm-hmm. Now you get, and here's one of the most pernicious games local governments play is that sometime that they will, you know, they'll have a boom in valuation and then they'll say, Oh, we're going to slightly, uh, slightly uh, lower the rate to keep it under the, the 3.5, um, to keep it under the, the, the rollback trigger for revenue. And they'll go ahead and do that. And they'll be like, I lowered property taxes. And the individual who's cutting that check, that check is bigger than the last one they cut. Right. And so they, it's not their definition of yeah, lower taxes. They, is they, to pay lo- more. they lowered the extent, you know, the marginal rate that they're accessing on their hyperinflated valuations. Mm-hmm. And that's that, that. I mean, it, it works like, you know, with a politically unengaged people. But we're seeing, you know, there aren't that many of them anymore. People are getting taxed out of their homes. We've all we've all heard the horror stories. And what also we're seeing is that not only are the school districts keep ramping up, keep ramping up the revenues. They're hemorrhaging students. They mm-hmm. are collecting more money to deal with fewer students. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, they'll say, oh, well, that's post-COVID. And, you know, some of that is legitimate, but they also are sitting on billions of COVID dollars, billions of COVID dollars on the sideline that they're sitting on to treat fewer students. And then they want to come back and get you just just under that rollback rate. Mm-hmm. And even if they're lowering uh, lowering the percentage, that's because the valuation means that that more money is coming out of your pocket. And this cycle continues on and on and on. The one thing I would add, though, is because a lot of the solutions are based on, you know, compression, wherein the locals are held whole while our bills go down, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know how sustainable that is uh, intellectually over the period of time. Well, I'm, I, I think we should compress them out of existence. And that's what, you know, we have uh, said multiple times. The problem, of course, not being that, 
you know, the, the state is only going to be always a wash with cash or won't be a wash with cash. So we can only do partial compression. Mm-hmm. That's not the problem. The problem is the spending on the local level. You know, so one of my friends brought up yesterday, he asked, he goes, why are we always talking about cutting property taxes only in the good times? You know, when the belt's not tight. Right. And it's it's a very good point because that's the issue. It, we it gives them the permission to have that conversation, but the need to have that conversation needs to start out. What are we actually spending out of our you know our property taxes? I mean, you on? need to be careful with that. I mean, the the you know high school football is like church around here, and those big ass stadiums are not going to build themselves. <laughs> so um, uh, you got to be careful. And, but that's and that's where the debate's going to happen. I mean, that's where the the fight's going to happen mm-hmm. is is that the local folks are going to say, look, we need this money for you know. I mean, we're literally talking about. About, you know the maintenance and operations portion of uh, that goes to schools I mean that's not you know from a PR you know uh, 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 perspective saying that we're going to eliminate the maintenance and operations tax that goes to schools is is difficult to sell sometimes once people start digging around uh, on the details well even on the bond side though that there's it's rife with dishonesty over there because you'll see bond proposals where you know th- there will be a fast growth school district that needs another building there's you know yeah. they got they got kids hanging out the windows of the one they got they absolutely need another building but then they put that in there with oh with that other building we're going to build a natatorium we're going to build an outdoor nature park golf course airport, golf course swimming can, yeah the swimming center whatever whatever, whatever the whatever the case might be and they put those two together so do you want you know do we want to go another bond cycle where we just have kids jammed in the closets you know because we just have no room in the at the desks or do we want to make sure we have this profligate spending? And it's, it's really you're caught between a rock and a hard place. Mm-hmm. And, you know, James Quintero, our colleague, has been, uh, been focusing a spotlight on this. Uh, unfortunately, though, it's just, you know, they have these off-cycle bond elect- or these, you know, these bond elections that are set up by folks who are elected off-cycle. And it tends Nobody to be there's, there's no, to vote. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. that the old lady down the street and her dog both show up to vote. And that was the swing vote of the entire election. So. Yeah. That's it's uh, it's a substantial education piece uh, left to be done. So there's a lot there's a lot to be discussed about the property tax, but I will say that you know it, it's definitely been an issue that we've been testing, that we've been looking at polling, and it's not one of the ones that rises. You know, when you ask people an open ended question about you know what's the most important issue te- in Texas, it's not necessarily the one that rises to the top. But when you ask people about it, you get like seventy or eighty percent of people mm-hmm. say that it is a burden on them, and that the Texas legislature needs to do something. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, that'll happen in you know. As, as, a substantial reform will happen uh, in the session. So we're getting close to, to, to time. So thanks again. This is kind of mm-hmm. our kickoff show. Um, we really appreciate you listening and, and watching um, on this. Um, so we're, we're going to keep doing this every week and keep bringing you updates. Hopefully there'll be a lot more to update um, as we go with the, the weeks coming up and especially with the governor's state of state. We'll probably dissect that and look at that as well. Um, so for now, just remember, as Sam Houston said, do good and suffer the consequences. Thanks for watching.